You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. And good morning to a 10 o'clock Highland family. Glad that all of you are here today. And welcome home, those who are here for homecoming weekend. We're in a series on Elijah called Good Trouble. And we've been away from it uh, for two weeks now, which gives me a great opportunity to say thanks to two people, to Drew Humphrey and to Ron Oaks, who faithfully and with great excellence preached these last two weeks while I was out of the country. Let me catch you up just a little bit. If you don't mind opening up your copy of God's Word, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17 to start with, kind of remind ourselves what we've learned uh, two weeks ago. I hope that you have a copy of God's Word. If not, maybe you can share with someone next to you. We'll always have the Scripture on the screen behind us as well. And once you open up to 1 Kings 17, go ahead and keep your Bible open the remainder of the morning. This will be the passage that we are in. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah just appears on the scene. There's no runway to Elijah. We don't know really anything about his upbringing, his childhood. Uh, We don't hear anything about Elijah, the great prophet, until all of a sudden his name is mentioned here in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Let me read this verse to you. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, and no scholar knows where Tishbe is. Like, that's just an unknown place in Gilead, said to Ahab. Now, Ahab is the wicked, evil king of Israel. He says to the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years. And then Elijah says, except by my word. So Elijah stands up before the king, the wicked king, the evil king, the king that hates God and the people of God. And Elijah comes to him and stands toe to toe with King Ahab and says, until I say so, it's not going to rain on this land, not even any dew for the years ahead. God, in verse 2 through verse 7 of this chapter, comes to Elijah, tells him to go live by the brook Kareth or Kareth, which is drying up, of course, because there is no rain in the land. And birds began to bring bread and meat, which in Hebrew, by the way, is translated Chick-fil-A nuggets and waffle fries to to Elijah. It it was their pleasure. And right as the Greek creek is beginning to dry up in verse 7, because this is often how God works, The word of the Lord comes to Elijah right when the creek is dry. And verse 8, moves him a hundred miles to the west to a godless place outside of God's promise to, to Zarephath, where a poor widow has been told that she would take care of him and would provide for him. In fact, she does with flour and with oil that does not run out. That's verses 8 through 16. Then that widow's son dies. And Elijah brings him back to life. That's verses 17 through 24 of chapter 17. So that's close to three years in the life of Elijah that I summarized in three minutes. You are welcome. Let's go now to 1 Kings chapter 18. We have a little context of what's happening. So 1 Kings chapter 18, let's just read the first few verses of this portion of the chapter. So after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, in other words, in the third year of that drought, saying to Elijah, go and show yourself to Ahab, and then I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab, remember the king, called Obadiah, who was over the household. Let's call a quick timeout. Obadiah 
This is not the prophet Obadiah. In fact, he won't be born for another 300 years, the, the minor prophet at the end of the Old Testament. And this Obadiah is over the household. That means over the household of, of King Ahab. He was, he was almost like, like second in command. He was the COO or the CEO. He was not the butler that was like vacuuming under the beds. This is like the guy who is really kind of second in charge, just as we saw back in Genesis chapter 41, that Joseph was over the household of Pharaoh. And so we see in this passage here that Obadiah was a man of great power, of great insight. He was an insider. And so Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now we see parenthetically here, Obadiah feared the Lord, Yahweh, Greatly. And when Jezebel, that's the wicked queen, the wife of Ahab, cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them, I like his organization, by fifties in a cave. And he fed them with bread and water. So let's, let's step back for just a second and see an overarching theme that we have seen in chapter 17 and we're seeing again here in chapter 18. And here's the overarching theme. God will take care of his people through all sorts of means. Birds, a poor female Gentile outsider widow, and now this wealthy male Jewish insider power player. The birds and the widow took care of Elijah, and now Obadiah is taking care of God's prophets by putting them up in caves and making sure secretly that they are fed bread and water. It's a great reminder to us today, before we get too deep into this passage, a great reminder for all of us today who belong to God in Christ Jesus that God will provide for you. He will take care of you. He will be faithful to you. He will be steadfast in his goodness towards you, and he will use all sorts of means. In fact, if you're God, every means is at your disposal. Whether it be a bird or an obscure widow in an obscure place or a man in the halls of power, God can use every means because they're all at his disposal. So when you move into God's family by believing upon the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, you're guaranteed a place under God's providing hand. You're guaranteed a place under his shadow. You're guaranteed a place under his faithful care. And let me just tell you, because you're not saying amen, this is good news for all of us here today, that God takes care of his people through all sorts of means. Let's pick it up, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 5. And Ahab, remember the king, said to Obadiah, his vice president, his COO, said to Obadiah, now go through all the land to all the springs of water into all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Now just, just think about that for a second. This is the king of Israel who is going out by himself to go find water. This is how desperate it was. It probably speaks into how few of the people in, in, in his household and Ahab's uh, kingdom wanted to serve him, wanted to be around him. He couldn't find anybody else, perhaps, or no one else would go for it. And so he takes off the king by himself to go find some water because there's been drought in the land for three years. The other thing it says here about Ahab is how inhumane he is. Did you notice he was not looking for water for his people? He was looking for water for his horses. 
and for his mules. That this a little insight into the heart of, of Ahab. Verse seven. So as Ahab, excuse me, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, "Is it you, my lord, Elijah?" And he, Elijah, answered him, "It is I. Go tell your lord. Behold, Elijah is here." Or in a loose translation, yo, I'm back. And he says in verse nine, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you to some other place. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find you. He will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did? When Jezebel killed the prophets, the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave, and I fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Step back again to see kind of another overarching theme that's happening here that we can probably relate to ourselves. Obedience yesterday doesn't free you from disobedience today. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch on that one. Obedience yesterday doesn't free you from disobedience today. Obadiah, let's all admit this, he has done great things. I mean, he, he saved 100 of the Lord's prophets to his own peril. I mean, Ahab is married to Jezebel, and I am certain that Obadiah was all in the midst of, of the household, the kingdom, and they're watching him. They're around him all the time. Under his own peril, he takes and he hides 100 of these prophets, even though the king's wife, Queen Jezebel, wants them dead. So Obadiah has done great things in the past by saving 100 of the Lord's prophets, but today he's hesitant to obey. He basically says to Elijah, I'm sure you've heard about me. I'm kind of a big deal. I have done all these really good things in the past. Which is probably a good reminder to every Christian here today. Don't boast in yesterday's good choices while you make bad choices today. Don't rest in godly choices from yesterday just so that you can rebel today. Obadiah was doing what every human sense has done, trying to justify bad choices today by pointing people and ourselves to the good choices we made yesterday. I would just say as a word of loving warning to all of us in this house today, don't fall into that trap. 1 Kings 18, let's read verse 14 again. And now you say, so this is Obadiah saying to Elijah, now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him, Ahab, today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Here's kind of a third overarching thing in this little conversation happening between Obadiah and Elijah. Again, you may want to write down or consider with me. Obey on the first step or you'll always worry about the second one. Did you see what Obadiah was doing? 
He was constantly jumping ahead to what might happen in the future. He was scared about the things that might happen down the road so much so that he was fearful to even take that very next step. He thought, if I do what the Lord is telling me through the Lord's prophet Elijah here, I am going to, verse 14, die. Obadiah basically says the same thing back in verse 12. If you want to go back there with me, so chapter 18, verse 12. And as soon as I've gone from you, this is Obadiah saying to Elijah, I know what's going to happen. The Spirit of the Lord is going to carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, I have feared the Lord from my, from my youth. Obadiah was basically saying, I'm scared what might happen down the line. So I'm going to freeze right here and not even take one step. And oh, we do the same thing. We worry so often about something down the line, a season from now, months from now. Will I graduate? Will I get a job? Will I get married? Will I be single? Am I going to have kids? Will my kids follow Jesus? Will, will I like my job? Will my friends stick with me? Will I stay healthy? Will I have enough money to, to retire one day? And in that worry, we don't even take the first step. First step's like trusting God. First step's like abiding in Christ. First step's like the believing that God is in control and that, and that he is good and that he is for us. So my challenge to you today, friends, is to take a first step. What would that first step look like for some of you? Maybe it's forgiving someone who, who has hurt you. And maybe a first step is caring for someone, caring for a widow or for an orphan or for an immigrant or for a neighbor or for the preborn. Give money generously. Pray often. Share the gospel of Jesus with others. You may notice that Elijah did just this, go back to the beginning of this chapter again. Chapter 18, look at verse one with me. So after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of the drought, saying, I love this, go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. And something happens in between verse one and verse two. Elijah does not despair. He does not get concerned about what Ahab may say to him or may do to him. He does not start having imaginary conversations of things that might happen between he and Ahab. I love this verse too. So Elijah went. No hesitation. He took that first step of obedience to the Lord. He understood at this place. God says, Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. Elijah simply says, okay. If you're getting sleepy, let me tell you something you can hold on to before you fall asleep. God's will is not some mysterious riddle to be figured out. It is God's word to be obeyed. We have made God's will such this riddle. And, and, and we pray sometimes in desperation, God, I just don't know what your will is. What's, what's your will for my life? And it's not some enigma. It's God's word simply obeyed. There are three things I want you to see in here as we wrap up today that you can apply. So those are three kind of overarching themes we see happening, this conversation between Elijah and Obadiah. But I want you to see three things, three things. I'm always proud when I come up with, with three things. This is top-notch preaching right here. I've got three things for you today. Here's the first thing. Fight for faithfulness. Fight for faithfulness. Do you see this? Obadiah had everything to lose and nothing to gain. Compare that to the widow who had nothing to lose and everything to gain. 
Obadiah starts kind of spiraling out of control with this fear of what may happen on the second step and fifth step and tenth step that he doesn't even want to take the first step. Obadiah starts spiraling out of control in this fear. So he says three times, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Verse 9, verse 12, verse 14. Then he blames three people. I mean, blame shifting. We got it from Obadiah who just got it from Adam. I mean, we've been passing it down through all these generations. And so what does Obadiah do? He begins to blame Elijah in verse 9. Elijah, why would you even come to me? Like, have I sinned or something? Why would you even come and find me? He begins to blame God in verse 12. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell Ahab where you are, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and just move you somewhere, and I'm going to be the one that's just left with death. He's going to kill me. Verse 14, he's, he's now um, blaming Ahab, who is going to be the one murdering Obadiah. What is happening? He's fighting right here to be faithful. But you feel it, don't you, in this interchange between Elijah and Obadiah, just this wrestling match back and forth of, am I going to obey God? I'm not going to obey God. Am I going to obey God? I'm not going to obey God. Should I obey God? Obadiah knows what he should do because he's done it before with those 100 prophets that he saved, but he's now having to battle his own risk aversion. He's now having to battle his own fear. He's now having to battle the lessening of safety. And Highland family, please hear me when I say this. God's will for us is not that we're safe or comfortable. God's highest will for us is that we are faithful. No matter the cost, no matter the outcome. Have you noticed in the Gospels that the closer you get to the cross, the people start decreasing in number? I mean, there's hundreds of people following Jesus when he's passing out free food. There's hundreds of people following Jesus when he's raising people from the dead. That's pretty awesome. But the closer you get to the cross, the numbers begin to diminish. All you have left at the end there at the cross are those, those few who did what? They fought to be faithful to Jesus. We must do the same, fight for faithfulness to Jesus. Let me strengthen you by, by this news, though. Jesus is faithful to you. Jesus is holding you. Your name is written in the palm of God's hands. So you fight for faithfulness this week, knowing this, that God is faithful to you. Secondly, practical application from this passage, prepare for temptation. You and I this week, because we did last week and you did yesterday and you will tomorrow, there's always this temptation to walk that very fine line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And often we like to walk right down it because we don't want to upset anybody. So we stay as close as we can to that very, very fine line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And Obadiah certainly felt this. He felt the temptation to calculate risk. You probably know this by now. If you use calculation against fully trusting God, you'll almost always fall back on calculation. Even this week. Prepare for the temptation to be faithless. Even for this week, prepare right now for the temptation to be self-centered or, or to worship the created as opposed to worshiping the creator. Be prepared by God's grace, even right now, to choose wisely this week, to choose Jesus this week, to choose the kingdom of God this week. And a lot of you in this room, you know it because I know what you do for a living. It's always easier to live a secret faith than a public faith. 
And Obadiah, up to this point in his faith journey, he was able to live a very secret faith, to secretly scoot away from Ahab's palace, to secretly take these 100 prophets and put 50 of them in one cave, 50 in another, to secretly in his faith make sure that they were fed with bread and that they were given water. But now Elijah is calling him to live a public faith. And he's living in that, in that tension. Now he's tempted to not live faithfully publicly. That's the temptation. That's, that's the tension in this story. It's the same tension that's in your heart on a Monday morning. Same tension that's in our hearts during the week. Do I, do I give in to temptation? Or do I live the way of God? Do I live the way of the kingdom of God? So fight for faithfulness. Prepare for temptation. Here's the third thing. Live boldly. Obadiah eventually, took him a little bit of talking. Most of it seems like just out loud to himself. Eventually comes to a place where he will say, yes, Lord. Why is it? that Obadiah eventually obeyed God and eventually made the decision to live boldly? I don't know, but I do have a guess. And here's my guess. It's in verse 15 and verse 16 of chapter 18. We've already read it, so let me just read it one more time for you. Verse 15. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. And immediately, verse 16, so Obadiah went. Before whom I stand. Sound familiar? It's the same thing Elijah said to Ahab back in chapter 17. Verse one, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. I underlined those four words in both places in 17.1 and in 18.15. Before whom I stand. Elijah is reminding himself and also reminding others, who is it that has the ultimate Power. Who is it that has the ultimate authority? Obadiah, you're scared of Ahab. Perhaps I should be scared of Ahab, but I know before whom I stand. Obadiah, you stand before God. Ahab, you stand before God. Elijah speaking to himself, I stand before God. Whether it's in the house of an obscure poor widow or the halls of power of King Ahab, we, Christian, we stand before God. That is the reason you and I can and should live boldly. We don't stand before human councils. We don't ultimately stand before human authority. Every believer in this room, all in this room who have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, you stand in boldness before God. Charles Spurgeon was preaching this passage, the prince of preachers from London in the 1800s. Here's what he said of this passage and of Obadiah. In the center of rebellion against God, meaning King Ahab's court, in the center of rebellion against God, there was one whose devotion to God was intense. As it is horrible to find a Judas among the apostles, so it is grand to discover an Obadiah among Ahab's royal court. 
What grace must have been at work to maintain such a fire in the midst of the sea, such godliness in the midst of vile iniquity? Sisters and brothers, this is how we should live. Boldly like a fire on the sea. Boldly like the godly in the midst of vile iniquity. Before we close, can I ask you this question? Is there something that you've been saying no to the Lord about? Is there something you've been hesitating with the Lord? You know he has called you to do something or to start something or to stop something. And you've resisted it. You know, it's a very awkward thing to say, no, Lord. Those two words really don't go together. Because the word Lord just means boss. Like you don't say no to your boss when the boss of heaven says, here's what I want you to do and here's what I want you to be. But I would imagine in a room like this, there are some of us who struggle. We hesitate with that first step of obedience because we're scared about what the second step might look like. So as we sing this song, I would like for us to open these altars back up again. As we sing this song, maybe some of you want to come forward and just simply kneel before the Lord and say, yes. Yes to all the things that I've been hesitating on recently. Yes to all my no's. Yes, Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this example in Scripture of Obadiah, who sounds just like me, sounds just like us. We start worrying about what's down the road. We're scared of what might happen. And so we don't take any step. We just freeze in disobedience. Father, I pray today that that many of us, maybe all of us, God, in this this room would simply say to you, God, yes, for, for every direction, yes, for every commandment, yes. And God, when we've been hesitant or even been more stiff-necked than that and said no, Father, by your grace, we want to say yes to your ways, yes to your will, yes to your name. So God, these altars are opened for some, for many, for most, for one, to come and just kneel before the Lord and say yes Lord, I'm sorry my answer has been no, but it's now yes, Lord. I'm sorry I've been hesitant. The answer is now yes. Yes to freedom and no to addiction. Yes to the next chapter you have for me. Yes for abiding in Christ. Yes for joy. In the name of Christ, we pray and we come. Amen.